Today, we have a very special announcement. We are launching a side project launchpad. If you head to outofhours.org, you can check it all out. It's a three-week course. It is all interactive, all live. We are limiting it to a really small number of places. And the idea is if you have a new project idea or if you've been working on something for a while, but you need a bit of accountability or you need a bit of structure or maybe you need some supportive people around you, this should help structure your thoughts. It's just three weeks long and the early bird price is available if you apply in the next week. So hope to see you there. There's just a lot of different instances where I think, okay, what do I got to lose? You put yourself out there. What's the worst that can happen? Someone tells you it sucks, like that's cool, but that's just one person's opinion. If you believe strongly in something, the only person that's gonna make it happen is you. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea, and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient, and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money, or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. What can you do to help in a global pandemic if you're not a doctor? That's the question Rachel Smith, our guest today, asked herself earlier this year. Rachel is a Latina UX designer based in LA. She's now founded two global volunteer organizations, one design and the other in mutual aid. Designed to combat COVID-19 was set up to unite designers across the world to apply their skills to help solve problems caused by the pandemic. For example, small businesses and hospitals needing help. Out of this community came the idea for Mask for Docs, a project set up to get personal protective equipment to nurses and doctors. They've since delivered over 100,000 sets of PPE. Together, the organizations now have over 7,000 global volunteers across six continents. Designed to Combat COVID-19 has been featured in Global Design, Washington Post, and Adobe for their work for the design community. So I am a designer at trade. And basically what happened, I remember it was March 15th because that's when I created the Squarespace site. Um, I was basically sitting on my couch and I just felt so overwhelmed from all the Twitter feed and the news that was coming in talking about the pandemic. Everyone was just in this feeling of like, what's going to happen? And the world just felt very strange. And I just felt very overwhelmed. So I just told myself, you know, this is crazy. I am going to start a group and we're going to try to solve for design issues regarding the pandemic. And honestly, I did not expect it to take off as big as it did. So I registered the domain. I created the Squarespace site. I think I just like used a template of theirs. I didn't even customize anything. I just thought it was more important to get it out into the world before I even try to make it pretty. On Twitter at the time, I had like maybe 200 followers. And, and I told them, I was like, look, 
I started a group, whoever wants to join it, they can join. And like, I woke up the next morning and like a hundred people had joined the Slack group. I was like, oh, that's great. So I just kept voicing it. The idea of the group was, you know, how do we as designers, how do we as creatives create solutions for the pandemic? Maybe we could have copywriters help with resume assistance, or maybe if small businesses don't understand how to set up an e-commerce site, us folks can help them. We have about 1,800 volunteers now within the organization. We're global, so we have people in China, New Zealand, Australia, the States, Mexico. We have channels solely dedicated to translations. You first put it out to your 200 Twitter followers. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think took off? Honestly, I think I was one of the first people to create a website and have some sort of structure where folks can come in and join. People were just ready to help. They felt like me, that they maybe felt overwhelmed, that they have the skills, that they just didn't want to sit on the sidelines and see it all happen. I'm very big into social justice. I'm very big into making things happen for the good of our community. I had to create a space for folks to be able to get together and network and make those things happen. I just think that everyone wanted to help, but it was just the fact of wrangling them together and getting those minds in the same place to be able to make it happen. So anyways, I created that group and uh, my husband actually introduced me to Chad Loader, who's the CEO of Habituate. He pinged him and said, hey, Chad, you know, you're really into social justice. My wife's trying to do this thing. Why don't you come check it out? So Chad joined. Chad came into design to combat COVID-19, and he was aware of the personal protective equipment shortage globally. I believe he had a friend who was a nurse in Italy. So you were all probably aware prior to us in the States, the problem of the personal protection equipment. It was a, a vision into our future, right, of what was going to happen. So he had a friend in Italy who knew that everyone didn't have masks. They didn't have gloves. Hospitals were just overwhelmed and that it was only a matter of time before it happened here in the States as well. Originally, Masks for Docs was just going to be a campaign of like posters and it just blossomed into this group. Next thing you know, there's 70 people working on this project. And then Chad's like, this is getting too crazy. Let's separate it out. So he created his own Slack channel for Master Docs. Him and I paired as the co-founders. We have over... 5,000 volunteers on our separate Slack channel now for Mass for Docs. We basically incubated that organization. We just utilize Slack to create individual chapters, which is like a city-based chapter. So if there's Los Angeles or New York or London, didn't expect either of these, you know, to blossom as much as they did. You know, we got picked up by a few different publications as well. And I think that certainly helped. And how did the publications find it? My first publication was with Washington Post. She pinged me. I believe she was a friend of Mass for Docs co-founder, Chad. And she said, hey, I heard what you guys are doing. Can I chat with you? And so once Washington Post picked it up, uh, it just kind of went on. Um, I think Forbes picked up a small portion. Uh, Slack did an article on us. And there's a lot of articles about like what to do in quarantine as a designer, what to do to be able to volunteer to help your folks. And there's not too many that I've seen organizations, maybe like five or six. And we're, we're one of the top ones. And so on the Slack channel, what do you think kind of engages people in it? 
So specifically for Masper Talks, you know, we have people getting requests in that are always coming globally. We need those people to pick it up. They need the people to distribute. So like that buzzingness, like that beehive is going to continue because we need all those little, you know, the worker bees to, to make it happen. And honestly, if we didn't have as many folks as we did, it probably wouldn't happen. For Design to Combat COVID, I took a more organic approach. I was like, just let it happen. But then I realized there's different types of folks when it comes to any organization. There's folks who are individual contributors that want to be told, like, I need this task to do something. There are the leaders within the group who want to delegate. And we really need all those different parts to make a project be successful. So basically, anyone who has an idea to help within the pandemic or have something that's related, they could submit that request. And what we do is we break it down using this platform called Airtable so that when we collect that database, we're able to present it to the group and say, hey, we have these projects readily available. Who's willing to help out? Either myself or the admin will say, okay, who wants to be a lead? And then they'll go ahead and take the project and run from there. One of the head UX writers from Ikea is in our group. We have the head VP from Fashion File, which is a fashion resale um, organization here in the States. We have people from Salesforce and Google. So we want to be able to bring these folks in. It's such an amazing idea. And I feel like on paper, you can imagine that there would be challenges in organization, especially from a kind of just it's hard to organize grassroots initiatives sometimes, you know, as you say, you get you want everyone's voices heard, but then you also need to make decisions quickly. How what is the process then? So someone submits an idea, you post it and you say who wants to sort of get involved in this and then who wants to lead it? What's the next step after that? So what we do is we vet with the person beforehand and say, okay, we saw your request. Can you give us a bit more information? What exactly are you looking for? How is this related to being affected by the pandemic? Really getting those granular details because if we hand it over to somebody and it's very broad and it's very vague, they may not be as inclined to say, okay, well, you know, yes, they want to help, but sometimes it's it's easier when you have very specific tasks. And we follow up after the fact to say, how is this going? How can we support you? So, you know, there's another organization that came out. Um, they're called Fight Pandemics, and they have a really beautiful website. They're doing things that are similar to us. They actually utilize Notion, which is, I'm sure you're familiar, it's like Evernote or somewhere where you keep track of projects, almost like job requisitions where you can apply for the volunteer position and it's very organized and it's beautiful. I think for us, we didn't want to make it feel competitive, like someone had to apply for the volunteer role. Also because, you know, unfortunately there are a lot of folks in the design world right now who maybe are out of work or are furloughed. So the last thing we want to do is have people compete. You know, for example, we had a request from a hospital in Canada asking for They already had the posters, but they just, they weren't readable. They weren't legible. We had four or five people break up the posters. So there was a one lead for the project. She said, I'm going to go ahead and and be the PM for this. A week later, they presented it back to the Canadian hospitals and we have pictures. I mean, they're hanging in their hospitals right now. And it was really cool to see people were providing each other feedback. They're like, this isn't as readable. Try this color. One of the major challenges we had at the beginning, honestly, is we had a lot of problem solvers on our Slack channel and not enough problems. Folks within the group, they were saying, okay, let's solve for this or let's solve for that without actually taking a step back and saying, are we solving for the right thing? Is this the right approach? I think it's very important in this day and age. 
to actually design or create something that is going to affect someone positively. We had a small business owner contact us yesterday saying, I was very heavily impacted by COVID. Can somebody just help me with some branding and a logo because I just don't have the resources. And yes, we got them in touch with designers. One of our admin leads in the group, they created a site where you can just type in your zip code and the closest COVID testing location. And it'll tell you the hours that it's open, whether it's drive through or not, you know, and that, that was just like three or four folks that came together and created that. So it could be anything between like, you know, a, a, a logo design for a small business to, to mass for docs, which is like huge, right? <laughs> Personal protective equipment around the world. It could be anything in between. And are there requests design-led? I know you said the community is a mixture of designers and, and other people who are just interested in helping, but are the requests all sort of design assets or design problems? Well, for me, <laughs> because I'm a designer, I think everything's a design problem. It's like, why does this chair suck? Is it because like, I don't know how to sit in it? No, because it's a bad design, right? Like, so for me, I'm always thinking like in those terms, you know, we are a design community. And if you go onto the site, it says we are 1500 creatives. So it kind of has that, you know, that feel of designery, creativity. In my mind, everything is a design request because everything has to be thought through and made and planned for no matter what it is in this world, whether it's, you know, a notebook that's on your desk or the pen that you're holding in your hand, somebody had to take the time to manufacture it. So take Mask for Docs for a second. So I saw on your website, you delivered 100,000 masks in the first two weeks. The first two weeks were crazy. How did you manage that? When we launched the very first version of the site, it was basically just a page. And it was like, do you have a request? Like, put it in here. Or do you have a donation? Put it in here. There was like CTAs all over the place. It was kind of crazy. But we worked fast and we just got it up overnight. So our very, very first site, we used Typeform. Someone would enter in the request and it would go into a Google sheet. The Google sheet had no rhyme or reason. It was crazy. I mean, we had this happen overnight. We didn't have time to think about like, you know, if it says Los Angeles, put it in the Los Angeles section. If it says London, take it to the London sheet. Like, no, it was all in one place. And we would literally just ping the entire channel and says, who's in Los Angeles? There's orders right now that need to get picked up. And then they would DM and say, okay, I can organize this. That person would literally go pick it up and drop it off at the location that was asking. And that that's honestly how it started happening is it was just people who wanted to help, who were eager to make a difference. People were scared. They weren't able to get the masks that they wanted. They weren't able to get the gloves that they needed. And, you know, Chad made it very, when he came to the group and brought this problem to us, he was like, if you're in LA, go to your earthquake kicks. There's an N95 mask in there that you probably didn't even know existed. Like, go grab it. Let's get it together. Let's get these to our doctors and our nurses and the people who are on the front lines battling COVID and helping our communities right now. I don't think folks realize all the PPE that they had lying around, like nail salons, they have masks, they have gloves. Art departments, they have the same amount. And if they're just sitting there and if everything's closed, why not utilize that until the supply chains do catch up? I believe that with COVID and the pandemic, Anything that was on the cusp of being left behind because of technology, like it, this was just a catalyst for that, right? Like everything this year is going to be changing from working remotely to supply chains. Like everyone's just going to have to rethink 
the way that we we are moving forward with everything. And that's one of those things. And when you have requests coming in and they go on the Slack, do you tend to have too many people volunteering or not enough? Because I imagine there must it must sway one way or the other. So at first we had way too many volunteers. We probably had like over a thousand engineers who were like, I'm ready to code. And we were like, that's great. But we actually just needed to do some phone calls to make sure like these people can actually pick up the supplies. Like, can you do that? So we had to kind of change folks' mindsets a bit on, we understand you can do this, but if you want to help us, we need you to do this task instead. So now we have a logistics platform where basically any request that comes in for a, a certain type of geolocation, it gets sent to that sheet. We have leads for each chapter. So whether it's, you know, um, New York or New Orleans, there's a main point person, you know, Navajo Nation in New Mexico and Arizona, they're being very affected by the circumstances right now. And the head of the group of the Navajo Nation reached out to us and said, we need over 200,000 masks. We understand you're not able to provide that, but we'll take whatever you can. And so now we're starting to talk, do we want to purchase from vetted supply chains? It's a lot. And if we didn't get organized in the way that we would, there's no way it would have sustained. In terms of the organization, how how big is the kind of managing team? We're hiring. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right now, it's myself, our co-founder. We have a head of creative and our head of communications and PR. I still have a day job and I'm still helping with design to combat COVID. Chad, you know, he's still a CEO of his other company as well. Because you're doing it alongside a full-time job, right? You're doing five days a week. Yes, it's like seven days a week. (laughs) How do you find the time? I have no idea. I'm at home. I'm quarantined. It's just my husband and I. We don't have children. If things were any different, I probably wouldn't have the time. But, you know, I just, I want to help. I definitely create boundaries for myself in my day job where I'm like, okay, I'm only dedicating this much time so that I can focus on my day job. You know, I, I love my work. I love my job. I work for an amazing company and it pays my bills, right? <laughs> like I have, I have to have that because these other organizations are volunteer based. I, you know, I have to set my priorities. They're doing great causes, great work. You know, I had a volunteer reach out to me this week. She's our lead for our San Francisco area. She reached out to me. She's like, hey, Rachel, like, I can't make our meeting tonight. My son's graduating. He's speaking at his commencement speech tonight. I was like, oh my gosh, like, congratulations. That's incredible. And she said, you know, he's a senior in high school. Earlier this year, they had a mass shooting in their city. So that was really hard for him. And then the pandemic happened. So he wasn't able to attend his senior year in high school. And the only thing that helped him get through this year was masks for docs. He's been printing 3D face shields and delivering. And she sent me a picture of him like holding the face shields and just smiling. And she said that he's speaking at his commencement speech tonight. And even though this year was really hard for him, you know, masks for docs is what motivated him and like kept him moving forward. It's just moments like that where I take a step back and I'm like, wow, it's incredible what we're doing. You know, yes, providing the medical supplies, but we're giving folks purpose. And it's a really scary time right now. People are very unsure of things. And so if you have tasks to give people and they're going to be positive and impactful, it's it's really meaningful. Good point. 
Because I think there was so much debate at the beginning of the pandemic of people who were at home quarantined, either being like, oh, can everyone stop guilting me for being productive or being like, oh, this is a great time to do things. For sure. And, you know, I struggle with that as well. I definitely, I think number one, your mental health is the thing that you should be taking care of. Take care of yourself first and foremost, because if you're not able to, you won't be able to help anyone else. Never feel guilty for not doing enough. I just think I am, there's something wrong with me because I'm overproductive with everything that I do. If my task box is not checked, like I just, I can't sleep at night. Not everyone's like that. I very much encourage folks, like if you're staying home, if you're staying safe, if you're protecting others by, by staying home, that is more than enough. People shouldn't have to feel like they have to do all the things to, to be productive or like they're not doing enough. Taking care of yourself and your mental health is always number one. I probably should have been kinder to myself and maybe stepping back a bit because it, it is overwhelming. The Twitter content is never going to stop. The news is never going to stop. And there are times where I, I'm learning now to just turn off my phone and walk away. But in the first few months, I didn't give myself that breathing room. And I, I think I should have been kinder to myself that way. And it was a learning experience for myself as well. I think it's true for most people with sort of projects on the side, partly because they care so much about them. So which actually kind of removes the burnout, I think, in a lot, you know, in a lot of ways, because you're getting so much energy from it, it's kind of replacing it. But I think there are different types of kind of re-energizing. One is through doing stuff that you feel sort of purpose driven. And then others are literally taking a break, switching off your phone, right. spending time with people you love. And I think, yeah, it's difficult sometimes to to get that balance right. Yeah, my husband and I, we recently have taken up woodworking. So Saturdays or Sundays, like one of the days, I will just step away from the computer, be in the yard, just do our thing. And honestly, when I come back, I'm ready for work. I do feel energized because I've had that moment to just zen mm. out, not think about anything and focus on the tasks at hand that I'm doing there. And so when I come back, I feel I feel better. I'm still learning. If you have tips and tricks, <laughs> I feel like I've always been a side hustle person. Like I, I just, I can't turn it off. I don't know what, what's up with me. I just, I just love it. And I love creating things, but you know, I'm very open to suggestions on, you know, creating that space for myself as well. So if you have any <laughs> recommendations, please let me know. <laughs> Do you think you'd actually want that that space though? It sounds like maybe it, it does energize you to do all these things. It does energize me, definitely. I think for me, it's, I, I'm always like, I'm always, I have the next task at hand in my head always. And sometimes I think I need to learn to be okay with, I don't have to respond to that email right mm -hmm. now. I've always been doing things like I started uh, an e-com site two years ago. I wanted to learn Shopify. So I was like, I can do this. Like I want to learn about white labeling, which is when someone purchases something and your brand is on it, but you actually never own the inventory at all. It's someone else that puts your name in your inventory. I, I wanted to learn that. So I was like, okay. So I set up this, I called it a health goth company. It was called Exercise Apparel, like like exorcism, but like exercising. So exercise apparel. Yeah. And it was, it was um, kind of like Lululemon for goths or punk rockers. Right. So is there a market for that? I don't know, but <laughs> I was doing it. I think like health, like healthware or what do they call it? Like athleisure was really popular. Like it really started taking mm. off when I started this site. 
but I've always kind of liked things that are a little bit alternative. So I was like, you know what, let's, let's give this a try. And I like the name exercise apparel. So I started the site. I created, I think I even created a shirt that said like, I'm not a Lulu, like B I T C H or just like, it was just dumb. It was dumb shirts and really cool leggings that were tie dyed, just a little edgy. I actually had some sales, but my downfall is I did all of my t-shirts on American apparel clothing and they just went bankrupt, I believe that year. So then all my inventory got wiped and I had, I still had a day job and I was like, you know, I, I had the sign up for about a year. I had sales, it was going, but it was just me. Like I was doing the marketing. I was doing the designing of the clothing. I did the site. And so I had to shut it down. But the only reason why I wanted to do it is because I wanted to learn. I'm just very big on on learning things and and trying to tackle it. If something seems scary, I usually go towards it because I'm like, uh, I want to figure that out. Like, how could I not be scared of that thing? So yeah, I mean, I've done e-commerce sites. I have a design agency. I have a few clients in the Los Angeles area, mostly for minorities. So I'm a Mexican-American. I have... Um, you know, a Mexican actress. She's one of my clients. I have um, some e-com sites. I'm really big on helping folks who may not necessarily like know how to get started. Like I like to help those people, you know, minorities or women in business um, who you know don't know the ropes. Like I'm always the first person to say, I can help you. Like, let's do this. Like we'll do it together. Where do you think you get that kind of energy from? That self-starter mindset? I think for me, it's, I don't know. I just, I'm one of those people that's like, don't talk about it, be about it. If I have my mindset on something, I want to figure it out and do it. I don't know where it comes from, but I love making things. I love making things. I love solving problems and I love efficiency. The flip side though, of being a creative is that you can often be your, your own worst critic. Oh, for sure. And I feel, so I feel like creatives have sometimes this tension, which is I want to put something out in the world. You know, there's this urge, which means that they are often creating, but then there is also that other voice in your mind, which is saying, no one cares about this, you know, or this is rubbish, which can stop people doing things. And I think sometimes there are creative people, which I guess is kind of part of why I set up out of hours, which is there are creative people where that voice is just a bit too loud versus that creative urge. And, And I'm curious how people like you ignore that voice and get things out there? You know, there's been quite a few instances where I have been my own worst critic. For instance, I remember in college, we had our senior graphic design class had a contest. We were supposed to create posters. Whoever had the design with the most votes, like they would create the entire aesthetic for the graduation. And I remember presenting my poster and talking through it and then walking back and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like it really, I'm not really into it. And she's like, yeah, yours is good. But I like that person's over there. And I was like, yeah, I like that person's too. And I just got in my own head. And I think like one person telling me like mine wasn't good. The other person's was good. I was like, there's no way. But then I ended up, mine was chosen. Like I was the best voted. And so there's just a lot of different instances like that where I think, okay, you know, what do I got to lose? You put yourself out there, you know, What's the worst that can happen? Someone tells you it sucks, like that's cool, but that's just one person's opinion. If you believe strongly in something, the only person that's going to make it happen is you. I think there's so many times in my career as well, every time I've ever wanted a promotion, 
or anything. In my mind, prior to what I know now, I always thought if you do a good job at something, if you show up to work on time, if you do your due diligence, somebody's going to recognize you and they're going to say, you deserve a promotion and I want to give you a raise. And I don't know about anyone else listening or about you, but that has never happened to me. Anything that I've ever wanted in my life, I had to put myself out there and say, Mm -hmm. I deserve these things because X, Y, and Z. Like I've had to fight for everything. Things aren't just handed to me. And I think it's the same in the creative space as well. If you don't take chances, if you don't put yourself out there, then not everything has to be created for recognition or for that. Like if you, I create lots of things that I just keep to myself because I enjoy it and it gives me peace of mind. And it's something that is a hobby and I, I like doing those things. But there are other things that if you feel strongly about it, put yourself out there. What's the worst that can happen? See what happens and then learn and grow. Everything's about iteration. Do you do things kind of thinking about what the end goal will be because I feel like one of the reasons your these two side projects have been so successful is that you've kind of just not overthought it you've put it out yeah, there that's for sure <laughs> but you've also iterated and been super kind of strategic and analytical along the way and I think that's a great combination of of skills yeah you know there are moments where I think to myself holy moly I really wish I thought this through a little bit better. Like definitely (laughs) there are moments where I'm just like, shit, am I in over my head? There are moments where I'm like, oh my God, like what is happening? And I've had those moments with Design to Combat COVID. I've had those moments with Master Docs. And I think what helps with that is bringing in folks who can help you strategize a little bit better. So for instance, Design to Combat COVID, I started getting in over my head with not understanding Slack fully to be transparent, just all the different groups that were happening. And Brandon, my admin, he actually came to me and he said, hey, I ran another nonprofit. Is this your first Slack channel that you ran? And I'm like, actually, yeah, it is. And he helped me to be able to box things in. So he helped me figure out, okay, let's get everyone into an air table so we can understand what their skills are instead of it just being free wild. For me, I think I'm definitely the Wild West approach where I'm like, let's get in there and see what happens. But I need to surround myself with people who are a little bit more structured to help reel me back and create like a vision in that strategy. You know, I do have like an overarching goal. I need to get reeled in at times. And honestly, I'm very lucky to be surrounded by people who help me strategize those things. What does this look like in 30 days? What does this look like in 60 days? What does this look like in 90 days? And going from there. Were you looking for co-founders or support team? So for the design to combat COVID, no, I wasn't. Honestly, it was just folks who reached out to me and wanted to step up. And I'm, I'm very much a person who believes like if someone, as I mentioned, I'm a person that says like, if you know, don't talk about it, be about it. So if somebody comes to me and they're like, I want to help you with this thing. Cool. I mean, we're all volunteers here. I'm not going to like interview you and say, are you good for like, I need the help. You want to help me? Let's do it. It's just taking that chance. They took a chance. And I was like, yeah, let's <laughs> let's do it because i think the flip side of it is again that sometimes sometimes what stops people being more collaborative is that kind of thing it's maybe if you actually have too much of a vision to begin with where you're like i know exactly how i want this to be and i'm not really open to kind of right. different opinions it's interesting to have more people involved but then in doing so you lose control and i suppose that can be scary for people yeah and in, in the orgs that I've, we've created we've tried to create very, not very strict boundaries, but we're like, okay, we're doing this this way. And our volunteers have literally messaged us and said, we know you're doing it that way, 
but it doesn't work for us. So we're going to do it this way. And so you think to yourself, okay, like I'm a user experience designer. If our users aren't using the process that we built for them, what, what's the point here? So it's really actively listening to the folks that are using your product, your group, your involvement. You have to listen to the people that are in your community or else it's, it's never going to work. We do build structure, but we also recognize that sometimes maybe what we're suggesting or things that we've built isn't working. So how can we pivot? And I think it's being open to ambiguity, being open to iterating is huge. I want the organization to grow organically, and I don't think it should stay one way for a certain amount of time. You know, times are changing. Things are not as they were even six months ago. If you don't pivot and if you don't push forward and if you don't listen, keep your eyes and ears open, then you're going to be left behind. What do you think has been your biggest challenge? I would probably say keeping the drive going specifically for, for the design group, I would say because it's pandemic related and some, it doesn't feel like the world's as on fire right now. It's having those fluid conversations always happening. But also I, I kind of think I'm in it too deep, as we kind of mentioned earlier, where I'm just like, if things aren't buzzing all the time, that must mean something is wrong. I think that's like a, not the right way to think because if the community is there and it's available and people use it as they want coming and going, why does that have to be any like negative? Like that's fine. Just because it wasn't, you know, like the first couple of days when it was like blowing up and exploding, like because it's there, there's still engagement. So I think it's kind of stepping back and recognizing what success looks like. What, what is even success? Like that's a whole conversation, but you know, it's okay that it's not, exploding at any given point it doesn't mean that anything's wrong like it's still available it's still people helping each other there's still projects that are happening so from I think for me it's just recognizing that either way it's like send out a poll and asking what kind of webinars do you guys want to do it doesn't necessarily have to be like let's have a discussion about this thing but it's just giving them content to play around with or to mull over or to think about or maybe it's like an article that you saw that could be relevant. Engagement, yeah. So that's something I had to learn because I'm like, I'm just going to let people talk on their own, which is fine. And it does happen. But also providing them something that's going to spark something. I think it's helpful. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think when you're dealing with other people and you're trying to evaluate the project on that, like if you have anything that's kind of creeping in, that's anything about how well you're doing, it's, it's irrelevant. Like, right, you know, and I right. think everyone has that, but it's just ego. Exactly. What's the what's the future look like? For Design to Combat COVID, this is something that we talked about. Obviously, COVID is now. It won't be forever, hopefully. But we feel very passionate about solving solutions for crises. So whether the group switches to design for impact or you know, an aid organizational group that responds to anything, whether it be food insecurities, or we have the community that's ready to solve for those problems. And that's the really beautiful thing about this group. Our admin, Brandon, he he has space in the nonprofit world. He has a nonprofit, they're called C-Keys, I believe. And it's like mechanical keyboards. It's really cool. They have yearly meetups and he tells me like hundreds of people fly out and they hang out. And like, I, I want to get to that point. You know, this is the first time I'm doing this, but he's like, we should really talk about doing nonprofit. You know, we do have expenses to run these organizations. Is there a plan to move 
full time to do it or or do you think it will always stay as a side project right now i think this i think it's a side project for now um Mass Redox is different because that's like, you know, requests are coming and you need to get delivered. But designed to combat COVID, we have the extra time and space because it's design oriented. So what what drives you? Like the question you asked me, like, what, what makes you want to do these things? One thing is, I just feel like it's a real shame that so many people have great ideas and they don't make them happen. So I think that's totally. the first thing. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons people are unhappy at work, you look at the stats of like the Gallup report and like all these things, which, which look at like engagement and productivity in work. I think one of the main reasons is that people expect everything to come from their work. Of course, you know, you're not going to get, however amazing your job is, you're never going to get that. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. I, sometimes I feel like folks feel as though they have to fit in some sort of box. And for me, mm. I love the feeling of, of creating something different that still works, that is new and innovative because we're so trained to, to think like, oh, you have to take this path and these are the things you have to do. And it's like, no, there's a hundred different ways to solve problems or to come up with something, you know? So for me, it's also like curiosity too. Like, can I do this a different way? Like what you were saying about starting that e-commerce site, you know, once you've done one small thing, you start to realize like, exactly. oh, I can do stuff, you know, or, you know, you know, there's so many amazing things about working for huge companies right, that you're never right. going to get from anywhere else, like amazing clients and big budgets, sure. like really smart people to learn from. But the thing you don't have is that sense of like immediate impact because right. you're working on big, bigger projects, right? It's like, it's an obvious thing. But I think that through being in that experience, people sometimes unlearn that they, that they can have impact. You know, they kind of, everything has to be approved. Absolutely. Or- I think what I love about it as well, if you dabble and like, I'm a hobbyist, I feel like I dabble in just like a little bit of everything, but you apply what you learn from all those different worlds into other scenarios and you wouldn't even realize you're like, oh, I learned about this in this space, like, but I could actually use it here. So I actually, I was a graphic designer originally. I was doing posters for a, a big firm that did like restaurants and Rainforest Cafe and Bubba Gumption, like all the touristy restaurants. Like I was a graphic designer for that. And I liked graphic design work. I liked doing billboards. I love doing posters. I will never not love that. But I started getting burnt out. You know, the pay wasn't very good. And I was, I didn't want to start hating the one thing that I love to do, which is graphic design. So I, you know, someone told me, you should learn how to code. You should learn how to, you know, do websites. And I was like, okay, that seems terrifying. But I, I actually, you know, there's a lot of free resources online. I went on Codecademy, which is a free HTML, CSS resource. I taught myself how to code and I was terrified for years. I was like, I never want to do that. I don't even know where to start. And once I started doing it and I learned it, I got my first like web design job and you know, I just grew from there. But yeah, but it's those small hurdles that you put in your mind and you're like, I can't do that because it's scary. But it's like, if you actually just take the time, it probably isn't as scary as you originally thought. I love, like, obviously I love side projects. So Out of Hours is such a cool concept. This has been really incredible. Thanks for letting me chat with you. Thanks so much for your time. For sure. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. To hear more about Out of Hours, sign up to our newsletter at outofhours.org. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It really helps. 